The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m., and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. Yesterday, we heard the first half of a sermon by Elder Buddy Abernathy from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, regarding the church at Laodicea. The focus of the message was the chastening of the Lord. Verse 19 of chapter 3 tells us that the Lord chastens his children whom he loves. Brother Buddy began looking at the issue of chastening, and today concludes his thoughts on the chastening of God showing us that rather than being discouraged when we are chastened, we should be encouraged that that is a sign that we are of the number that God loves. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength. Thank you. 
Now look at verse 9. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Now that's what we could describe as a healthy fear. A father that chastens his son, according to God's word, he's not terrifying his child. He doesn't, he's not causing his child to cower down every time his father walks by as if it's unpredictable when his father's going to explode and, and hit him. That's not what he's talking about. But he's also not talking about a son that just talks back to his father and is not afraid to say anything. Here's, some, here's, a, here's someone, here's a child that fears their father because they know if they disobey, the consequences are not going to feel good. But the purpose of that is to train that child to respect authority. You will eventually learn the meaning of the word no. It might be in a jail cell, but you will eventually be forced to know the meaning of the word no. And if you have a toddler that you're not teaching what the word no means, you may say that's cute. I never have understood why people would say that. Because when he's a teenager and he's stronger than you, it won't be cute. And when he's out there committing crime, that won't be cute. And if he won't listen to anybody, he'll be forced not, continue, not to continue down that road. I'm sure there are many people in prison today that have never listened when someone says, don't do that, you'll get in trouble. We've had fathers of our flesh, that is our natural fathers, which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live. See, God deals with your inward man. When your father, when your natural father corrects you according to the scriptures, you receive a stinging sensation on the flesh. The rod literally means a switch. And a switch does not injure, but it makes you feel like you're dying. God knew what he was doing when he designed the rod of correction. But see, God, in our relationship with him, he's the father of spirits. He deals with you internally. The discomfort is on the inside, not on the outside. The discomfort was manifest in the life of David, if you read Psalm 51, he talks about, Lord, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice in thee. Read that Psalm sometimes, and David describes in detail the misery he felt as a result of committing adultery with Bathsheba. And he wasn't going through uh, necessarily any physical suffering at that time. It was all on the inside. But it was just as hard to bear, if not harder, 
than physical chastening. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Now here's why he says that. Shall we not much rather? He says, for they verily, that is verse 10 referring to our natural father, they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Now the idea there is not that they enjoyed chastening their children. You know, the Lord worketh all things after the counsel of his good will. He uses the word pleasure with regard to saving his people from their sins. In other words, this covenant of salvation was according to God's, God's purpose. So the idea here when it says our natural fathers for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, he goes on to say, but he, that is God, does it for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. In other words, your natural father uses his judgment, but he's not perfect. Sometimes he uh, chastens you for the wrong reason and the wrong attitude. But he says, God always does it for our profit. You may chasten your child and have to apologize later because of the, the spirit you had when you were correcting them. But God always does it for our profit, our benefit. What is the benefit that we have? He says that we might be partakers of His holiness. God wants you to enjoy His presence. God wants you to enjoy a sense of of righteousness, not in yourself, but in what Christ did. When you're living in disobedience and the Lord's chasing you, you can't really rejoice in what Christ did, can you? Now, you may know that that's true, and that in and of itself may help you get through the chastisement, but you don't feel good spiritually when you're being chastened, but the Lord says, I do that so that you can be partakers of my holiness. You know, when you spank a small child, after they get over it, and they're through crying, and they settle down, it's wise, you know, if you're dealing with a two or three-year-old, or maybe a little older, to take them in your arms and say, you got to do what daddy says, or you got to do what mama says. And what you're doing is you're letting them know you love them, but you are the authority. So notice here, God does it so that that fellowship can be restored, so that you'll be partakers of his holiness. Now look at verse 11 and notice how up-to-date the Bible is and how much we can relate to it. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. I remember when my father would chasten me and Suzanne. He would whip us for a little while and say, you gonna do it anymore? And we'd say, no, 
Then he'd whip us some more. He'd say, you going to do it anymore? We'd say no, and he'd whip us some more. Notice this. It, it's for the present. It doesn't seem joyous. But I never feared abuse from my father. I never, fe- I never felt like he didn't love me, he didn't care about me, or that he wanted to get rid of me or push me away or that I was an inconvenience. And this isn't really related, but I'll just throw this in. He didn't mind whipping neighborhood boys that were at our house disobeying. He didn't have a problem with that. It was a little different back then, wasn't it? You didn't have to even think about, well, his parents might get upset. You know, it's like some of you that are in the generation above me, I've heard many of you say, well, my parents said if I get a whipping at school, I'm going to get another one when I get home. What do they do today? If you touch my child, I'm going to sue you. See how messed up we've become? I got two or three paddlings in junior high school. And I remember, you know, we had a choice. We could write an essay or get paddled. Now, paddling's over in, you know, 15 seconds, but I was going to choose to write the essay. I mean, that'd take a lot more time, but I feared the paddle, but the other two boys that got in trouble with me, they chose the paddle, so I didn't want to look like a sissy. I said, yeah, that's what I want too. But you know, as far as I was concerned, I feared it. He says, it's not joyous for the present, it's grievous. You can't wait for it to get over with. Nevertheless, afterward, It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now that word exercised means those who take heed to it and learn the lesson. You see, every child is different, and I trust as I'm going through this, you're applying it to your relationship with God. That's the main purpose of it here. He's just using our relationship with our natural father as an analogy. But notice what he says. Afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. I've heard people say this, and again, I refer to the generation before me especially because almost everybody understood how to correct your children. I've heard some of them, some people in my, uh, in the generation above me speak in reference to their father and say, all daddy had to do was look at me. And I started behaving. There are others that maybe it required the rod of correction and it really was hard on them. I remember one time, I don't remember how old Lydia was. It's probably, I think it was the last time that I spanked her. She told me later what bothered her was that I said, Lydia, you're getting too old for me to have to do this. She said that just bothered her so much. But you know, there's some children that I'm amazed that it doesn't really bother them. 
You know, they'll just go on and do the same thing again. But you see, God doesn't have a problem in how he disciplines his children because he knows everything there is to know about them. We can still harden our heart. But God knows us better than we know ourselves. Notice what it says here. Note, he says, uh, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. If, if you respond to God's discipline in repentance, then you're going to have the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 3, and then I want to look at one other aspect of this. Revelation chapter 3. Notice the end of the the end of verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. The word zeal always refers to activity. It literally refers to heat or fire. Something there's action, there's movement, and zeal uh, refers spiritually to an active interest in the things of God. So the Lord is saying, Hey, if you know I'm chastening you, respond to it, get active and repent, turn from what you're doing. So, no matter how far the church of the Laodiceans had drifted away from, the, from God. Remember they were saying, we're rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. The Lord still told them he loved them and he told them to be zealous and repent. Now let me bring you some comfort. You know, chastening's not comfortable. You can benefit greatly from it if you don't harden yourself against it. But notice this. Psalm 94, verse 12. And I'm basically going to just read three portions of Scripture. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou may givest him rest, from the days of adversity until the, until the pit be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. Now here's where we can draw a, a clear line in rightly dividing the word of truth. Is God going to let you get by with your sin? No. The Lord says, I will chasten you. I'm a faithful father. I'm always consistent. I know exactly how to deal with you because I know you far better than your natural father does. But notice this in Psalm 94 verse 14. In spite of the fact that the Lord chastens us, he says, The Lord will not cast off his people. Neither will he forsake his inheritance. Now notice how this gets even stronger in Psalm 89 and beginning with verse 30. If his children forsake my law 
and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgressions with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. That's what we've been looking at the whole time so far. But notice the next verse. Nevertheless. The word nevertheless means in spite of or regardless of what I just said. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. You see how we need to, as the word rightly divide literally means, cut straight. The Lord may wear you out in your disobedience, but He says, My loving kindness will I not utterly take from Him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. God will not finally and permanently cut you off. You may be like David who said, Though I make my bed in hell, Thou art with me. You may make your bed in hell in this life, and you may stay there through your own rebellion, but even in that, the Lord says, My loving kindness will I not utterly take from him. And then my favorite portion of Scripture along these lines is Isaiah chapter 54 in verse 7. Now, if you ever feel like that you've sinned so bad that the Lord's never going to pay any attention to you again, notice this, Isaiah 54, verse 7. For a small moment have I forsaken thee. Notice that, for a small moment. But with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath. You may say, well, it doesn't feel like a little wrath. Well, in comparison to the wrath God can dispense, <laughs> what he dispenses on his children is a little wrath. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment. You ever felt like that? God's hid himself from me. He's forsaken me. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with, notice this, with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. Now that's talking about heaven. He said, with an everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. And he uses the word Redeemer as one of his names because that means he has uh, purchased us with his own blood. And we can't nullify that. And he builds on that. Notice verse 9. For this, that is this principle that he just stated, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee. Now I want you to think about this. The Lord promised 
that he would never flood the earth again. But think about this, especially as it connects to this verse. Why did the Lord flood the earth? Because the imagination of every man's heart is evil continually. You know what happened after the flood? There was no change in man. The Lord said after the flood that man is evil from his youth. But he said here that this principle of how the Lord will not permanently cut off his people, he says it's as the waters of Noah. In other words, we're sinful, we'll always be sinful, and the Lord may deal with us, but he's never going to destroy us. Just like the waters of Noah. He's never going to do that again. He's never going to wipe out practically all of humanity. Verse 10, For the mountain shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. So notice this promise here in Isaiah 54, Psalm 94, and Psalm 89, and I'm sure there's others. That yes, we can get ourselves in big trouble in this life. And we can even do things that may have lifelong consequences. For example, and I, I, I misunderstood this at one time. But when the Lord said to David the sword would not depart from his house, that didn't mean the Lord wouldn't forgive him and bless him with fellowship. He was simply saying some of our actions have permanent consequences and those consequences may not be removed. You know, if you murder someone and you're sentenced to life in prison without parole, I know there's a lot of people that somehow become Christians all of a sudden in prison, but there are some that truly do become Christians. I've seen some of them interviewed. You know, it's easy usually to see, tell whether they're faking, whether they're artificial, or whether they're sincere. But you know what? No matter how repentant they are, they're still in prison for the rest of their life. They can enjoy the Lord's fellowship there as much as you can, but that doesn't remove the consequence imposed on them by civil authority. So keep this in mind. No chastening for the present is joyous. But even in a timely sense, the purpose is that is so you can be restored to fellowship with God. And no matter how much you go back and forth, sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting, one day, you're not going to have any problems with that. Because the Lord said, I will not utterly, finally, completely, and forever cut you off. And that's what's kept me going among the primitive Baptists, is that my behavior here will not mess up 
the inheritance that I have in heaven because that's not based on my performance. That's based on what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.